Great. Good morning. Okay, the reading this morning is from Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. In um, one of the Bibles, it's on page 827. And in the other Bible, it's 1173. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all the wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he proposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to the hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay. Uh, again, good morning. Uh, Ephesians 1. What a passage. It's literally my favorite uh, passage, but at the same time, it's really, really hard to, to preach. There's so much there. It's really rich, but really condensed. So let's pray and ask God's help. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together, Lord. I pray that you, my Holy Spirit, um, working us, prepare our hearts, Show us you, Lord. Points us to Jesus. Amen. Uh, so one thing that I didn't mention about Ecuador and the Ecuadorians is that we are really humble. We like to tell the world that all they need is Ecuador. <laughs> That's in terms of tourism, of course. But the question for you Australians is how would you sell Australia to the world? Which phrase would you use? Let me help you. What about come, look, and enjoy? I mean, you guys have a beautiful country, really. Astonishing scenery, you go to the coast, coastline. It's just, just amazing. All the blue sky, the colors is just astonishing. So yes, come, uh, look, and enjoy. Now, would you use this phrase to invite people to church? Perhaps yes, no? But today I want to tell you that this is actually the message you have put to Port Macquarie. This is the message the Bible has for us. Come, look at God, 
Look whom he is and what he has done, and rejoice in him. Worship him. You see, when we look something that really capture our attention, we start praising the thing, and actually the person who creates the thing. For example, the Harbor Bridge in Sydney. It is really an impressive uh, bridge. So when I saw the first time the Harbor Bridge, I was just astonished, oh, was quite surprised by the whole structure, and then I started thinking, oh, look at the design. It's a really, really clever design. So looking at the design, you started thinking on the designer. The name is John Bradley, as, as you guys say. Well, probably you know how to pronounce it anyway. Um, but yeah, so looking at God, looking at God's plan of redemption, help us to consider God and help us to worship God. So today we are going to see that the proper reaction to look at God's plan of redemption is to praise God. And the first reason is because it points us to the God we have. It says that we have a triune, sovereign, loving God. So in verse 3 in Ephesians, please keep your Bibles open. In verse 3, Paul's first words to the Ephesians are greetings. Praise... Uh, Sorry, after the greetings are praises to God. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's good. But why is this so significant? In verse 1, it says that Paul is writing to believers. They call them the saints in Ephesus. That means people who were living in a Greek colony. People. Paul is writing to a large gentle community. These people live in a society with lots of gods. So the first thing that Paul is doing here in verse 3 is describing God. Paul is not saying, praise be to Diana, which is the goddess of the Ephesians, or praise be to the emperor, the common religion of the Roman Empire. But instead, he is saying, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul, in this verse, is presenting a triune God, a God in three persons. The phrase, God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a description which talks about the divinity, not only of the Father, but also of our Lord Jesus, because he is the Son of God. Throughout the whole passage, this reality of the divinity of Jesus is being emphasized. In verse 4, for example, it says that God chose us in our Lord Jesus before the creation of the world. That means that our Lord Jesus is eternal. He's equally eternal with the Father. He was before the creation of the world. In verse 10, Paul says that God's will is that our Lord Jesus reigns in glory over everything. Therefore, God's plan is to give glory to the Son. And if we keep, re keep reading in verse 12, it says that putting our hope and our faith in Jesus is for the praise and for the glory of God. Can you see? There's really a connection between the Father and the Son, and both are presenting as divine. But not only the Son is and the Father are presenting as divine, but also the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 is talking about these spiritual blessings, and it is true that spiritual blessing might be a contrast to earthly blessings. But the point here is that those blessings are spiritual. Those blessings come from the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, the Holy Spirit is presented as the, pro as the promised one. 
In the Old Testament, God promised that one day he will pour his spirit over his people. And now here in the New Testament, in Ephesians, this is what is being described. The Holy Spirit is being poured out over the ones who are in Christ, God's people. Therefore, Paul is presenting a triune God. Paul is telling the Ephesians that the Christian God, the God of the Bible, is a God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this is not the only thing that we can see about God in these verses. This passage also tells us that our God is a loving, sovereign God. That means that he is the king of everything. Verses 4 and 5 describe the spiritual blessings mentioned in verse 3. It says that God chose us before the creation of the world and that in love, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. You see, our God is a relational God. He wants to have relationship with people, adopting them as his children. And so God, moved by love, designed, designed a plan that exp expresses his nature. So these verses highlight God's love, but also his power. Talking about the plan of redemption in verses 11 and 12, says that God works out everything in conformity with his pleasure, in conformity to his, to his will, for the price of his glory. The Apostle Paul is clearly teaching that God has everything under control. He chose us before the creation of the world. Paul wants his readers to grasp the, the amazing God they have, a relational God who wants to have relationship with people because he himself has relationship with himself. A God who has control over everything, who acts in eternity, for eternity, for his glory. But why is Paul saying all of this? Paul, as I mentioned it, Paul is not writing to unbelievers, but to believers. He calls them the saints in Ephesus. Surely they know this. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that Paul himself spent more than two years in Ephesus. So he, surely Paul taught them this before. So why is Paul telling these things here once again? The reason is because Paul knows that Ephesians live in surrounded different ideas about God. Local deities will limit our specific power. So Paul in this section is reminding the believers in Ephesus about the identity of the true God. Because it is possible that the Ephesians have been influenced by their cultural conceptions of God. And we run the same risk. In our society, we find different ideas about God. Some say that God doesn't exist. Others say that all religions worship the same God. Others believe that there is more, there is more than one God. They believe in multiple gods. Others call themselves as Christians, but they reject the divinity of Jesus or the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the society where we live. So we, similar as the Ephesians, we need to be reminded about the identity of the true God, of the God of the Bible. But why? Does it really matter? Is it really necessary to believe in the doctrine of the Trinity to worship God? It is not enough to, to believe in his existence and to be sincere. Well, 
the reality is there's no true or real worship without real knowledge. As an example, for example, for you guys who are married, you can't really express your love to your husband or your wife if you don't know her or him. You need to know what she likes or what she dislikes. For example, if you invite her out, take her out to, to eat, uh, you need to know if she has allergies, really. Because you might have a really good intention to, I don't know, to give her peanut butter. But she might be allergic, so she might get sick. So your good intentions are not good enough. Your worship has to be based on the truth. What we believe matters. So what about the, the doctrine of the Trinity? Can we really praise God without the doctrine of the Trinity? Oh, well, we just saw to, that in order to be able to worship God, you need to worship the Father, sorry, you need to give glory to the Son. And when you give glory to the Son, you are giving glory to the Father. So it really is connected. What about the Holy Spirit? If you reject the Holy Spirit as divine and as a person, you are actually rejecting the spiritual blessings that are enabling you to connect and to know God. So we really need to have this right. This is the way to really and to truly worship God. So let me suggest just a couple ways on how can we ensure that we are truly worshiping God. First one, read your Bible. Oh yes, I know, this is a common and sim simple application. But actually, it's the most important. Because God has revealed himself in his word. So in order that you truly know God, in order that you truly worship God, you need to read the Bible. This is the first, the first is the most important application in this way. But also, God has provided good resources to the church throughout the years. I'm talking about catechisms and confessions of faith. I know they are, could be taken as old-fashioned, but they actually are really good. Talking about the Westminster's uh, catechism, or the Heidelberg Catechism, or the New City Catechism. Those things have a really good things for us. Use this as a tool to help us to really have a biblical understanding of God. But remember, it's the Bible. No are those things the truly, the truth, uh, or the authority. Um, what about Read good books. Read good Christian books. Ask Scott, what is a good book for me to read that will help me to, to understand God better? Let me suggest to you just one. Knowing God, J.A. Packer. I know that's not a, I know that this is a really, uh, probably old book, but it's a really, really good book, so I encourage you to read it. So that's the first point. When we consider God, we are drive to praise God because we are reminder that God has control over everything. And that he is the creator and he wants to have relationship with us, a really close relationship with us. And the second reason why we need to praise God is because we are contemplating what he has done for us. He has adopted us as his children. Sorry, but I need to say this. You Australians, 
you don't know how lucky you are. I'm not talking about your really high life standard. I'm not talking about your incredibly good public health system. I'm not even talking about the good coffee you get in cafes here. I'm talking about the sky. That blue sky outside that you see almost every day. It is amazing. It is astonishing. It is amazing deep blue sky. And I tell you what, I haven't traveled much, but I know that not in many places in the world you can see in a sky like that. In my hometown, pretty much all the time is cloudy. So for me to see a blue sky like this was here in Australia. So you are really blessed. But at the same time, you have a problem. The problem of familiarity. Familiarity makes us cold. It stops us rejoicing in the good things we have. So you see this blue sky almost every day, right? You know it's beautiful, but it doesn't surprise you anymore. You are so used to seeing it that it doesn't produce any amazement. And we as Christians, we run the same risk of familiarity too. We are so familiar with the message of the gospel that it doesn't produce any amazement anymore. Oh yes, we have been for forgiven, yeah, okay. But this is a real danger because we are losing the ability to rejoice in it. And as a consequence, we are not praising God. So, the, so to be able to really enjoy the blue sky, you need to go out and you need to look at it. Same for the gospel. To be able to enjoy what God has done for us, we need to slow down and to have a look what God has done for us. And this is what we are going to see now. So in the first point, we saw that God is a triune God, a relational God who wants to have relationship with us, with his people. But how did it happen? After Paul, after Paul introduced uh, the spiritual blessings in verse 3, he goes on in verse 4 and 5, obviously, uh, to explaining what those spiritual blessings are. In verse 4, he says, that God has chosen us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in verse 5, he points to the purpose of this election. He declares that God has predestined us to be adopted as his children. In other words, the spiritual blessings of election and predestination is adoption. Now, the fact that God's plan is to adopt people implies that people are not his children's by default. So the question is, why? According to verses 4 and 5, being a children of God is being holy and blameless in God's sight. In other words, being perfect. But we know that humanity is not perfect. We are not perfect. You are not perfect. If you, are not, if you don't believe me, just ask your husband or your wife. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so... Naturally, we just cannot be God's children. So we need to be adopted. We need a new status. And this is what adoption is. In its basic meaning, adoption means to change a position. Through adoption, an outsider is brought into the household. And a stranger is made part of the family, brought into a special, intimate, and unique relationship. Adoption means a change of status, a change of state, from wickedness to holiness. But how did it happen? How come wicked people 
can be made holy and blameless in the sight of God. Verse 7, by redemption. In its basic meaning, redemption means to redeem a prisoner by paying a ransom. Verse 7 says that we have redemption through his blood. Which blood? Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood is the ransom. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for our rescue. In the cross, our sin was credited to Jesus, and Jesus' perfect justice was credited to us. And this is the way that we are making holy blameless in the sight of God. And this is why. This is the only reason we can call him Father. This is an amazing message. A message which should drive us to praise God. But sometimes, when we read the gospel, when we read Ephesians 1, there are a couple questions that come to our minds. The first one is one of the reactions that we have is to start asking or questioning that whether or not we are part of the elect. And how can we know? Look at verse 13. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a zeal, the promised Holy Spirit, whom guarantees our inheritance. Those verses make it clear. The ones God have elected are the ones who are in Christ. The ones who, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel, they believed in it. This passage doesn't say much about the timing of the response after hearing the gospel. For some people, the answer is immediate. For others, it takes, takes a long time. Just as Scott was telling me his story, how he became a Christian, he says that someone shared the gospel on the first day, and then he asked him to come back and to share the gospel again, to keep explaining. So Scott didn't really um, uh, respond to the gospel the first time. So we can't say that he's not elected. And the reason is because he has believed in Jesus. So how can you be, how can you be sure that you are part of the God's elect? Well, have you heard the gospel of Jesus? This morning we just have. Have you believed in it? If you have, you can be certain that God has elected you because the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and it is the seals which guarantees that you are part of God's electing people. God has chosen you, and this is a blessing, an amazing blessing, that even before the creation of the world, God knew you. What a blessing. But sometimes, when we read this passage, another question comes to our mind, election and predestination. What is the base of this choice? Verse 5. It says that in love he predestined us through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will. God's election is in Christ. And this is according to his will. God didn't chose us in based of our abilities or because we deserve. And the reason is because we don't deserve. And we can't deserve because we are Sinners, our natural tendency is to reject God. 
So people who really decide to reject God is because they truly want to do so. This is the natural rejection. Our natural tendency is to reject God. So really, God's choice is not about man, but about God, about his will, about his love. Verse 5 emphasizes that it is in love that he predestined us. In love, God chose to treat us with grace, giving us what we don't deserve, that is, being his children. This is an amazing message. It should produce joy. It should drive us to praise God. However, the doctrine of election and predestination is a bit hard for us, for our minds to understand and to grab. Some faithful Christians find this doctrine really hard. So if you are one of those, I want to tell you that you are not alone. Predestination can feel to be unjust. However, however, I want to invite you to consider it again. Election and predestination are not meant to produce fear or even rejection, but the opposite. Remember to whom this letter is being addressed, to the Ephesians, to the mainly Gentile community. At the time when Paul wrote this letter, the Gentiles were considered in a lower status than the Jews, just because they weren't part of the people of Israel. So some Jews treat them as if they were second-class Christians. Well, yes, you're, you're Christian, but you're you're not one of us. You are, you, are not, you are not a Jew. So now imagine the reaction that the Ephesians had when they heard that God chose them and predestined them before the creation of the world. That they are not a second-class Christians. That they are not a guest of someone else's party. That they have always been part of God's elected plan. This is the most sweet and comforting message that they have ever heard. And this has to be the same for us. We should rejoice knowing that we are part of God's eternal plan. We should, this should affirm us in God's love because he is loving us unconditionally. That should give us meaning to our lives. We are here because even before the creation of the world, God wanted. What an amazing message. This should, this should give us certainty of our salvation. This should drive us to praise God. So how can we respond to this? Well, first of all, have you responded to the message of Jesus? If you haven't, because you still have some questions in your mind, I want to say, I would like to be, no, I'm happy to speak with you. <laughs> or speak with Scott, or one of the elders of the church, or surely with someone else here in the, in the church. This is vital. Make your mind. Accept Jesus. But now if you have, if you have believed, how, are you, how is your life responding to what, God, to what God has done for you? Are you reflecting in the message of the gospel in your life? Are you rejoicing in it? Are you praising God? If you are like me, rejoicing and praising God does not come naturally. It actually demands an effort. Normally, I need to be encouraged to rejoice and to praise God. I need to be encouraged by others. So the remedy against familiarity is to slowing down and to take time to appreciate the beauty around us. Similar here. The remedy against 
to being called to the message of the gospel is to slow down and to consider it again. And our friends, our brothers and sisters of Christ, help us to do this. This is one of the, of the beauty of Bible studies of coming to church because we slow down and we consider the gospel once and once again. And this helps us to rejoice and this helps us to worship God. And probably one of the best ways is to share in the gospel to new people, to new believers, because they ask questions, questions that perhaps you haven't considered. And this helps us to rejoice in the message of God. Friends, this passage is just so rich. There's so many things that it can be said, but it's just one where we can't dismiss. We can't continue our Christian life without being moved by the beauty of our God and his plan of salvation. We should praise God for whom he is and for what he has done for our lives. And a good way to remember this is that every time when you see that blue sky, you will remember who God is and what he has done for your life. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we praise you. We praise you for whom you are. We praise you for what you have done for our lives. Because you, Father, you chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Because you, our Lord Jesus, you took flesh, you came, and you died on the cross to pay the price that giving us salvation. And you, Holy Spirit, you came to our lives and you are the seal which guarantees our salvation. Help us to remember, to remember you, to remember what you have done for us and help us to rejoice in you. Impact, help us that this message will impact every single area of our lives. Help us to live with joy and help us to share this joy with the people here in Port Macquarie. In your name, my Father. Amen.